Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. I've got a guest on. I'm joined this week by Peter Komalafe from Conversation of Money, the YouTube channel. He has been on this podcast before. Pete came on as a guest, I think it was the middle of last year. And I asked him if he wanted to come on this week and just basically have a bit of a chat about what's going on in investments, in markets, in crypto. Um, we talked through a bunch of different stuff. Pete's a really great guy. Um, he's got a really uh, level head on his shoulders. He's doing lots of interesting stuff now. He's got his YouTube channel, um, which is continually going from, from strength to strength. He's also recently appeared on uh, Channel 4 TV show, Secret Spenders, which is um, which is pretty cool. Uh, and he's always got plenty plenty of stuff going on. And uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good guy. I got all the time for him. So it was great to have another chat with, um, well, have him on the show to talk through what's been what's been going on with everything to do with investments and finance as always and that's it for me before the episode i'm not going to uh carry on go on for too long hope you enjoy this i hope there's a lot of value in there from uh for you if you have questions you'd like us to answer on the podcast like me to answer on the podcast then jump over to the website thehedge.io drop me a line and let me know Do you want to talk about crypto first then? Do you want to jump straight into talking about that? Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been quite an interesting few months watching the crypto space. Um, obviously, Voyager and so And you tell you the thing that really surprised me about the whole Voyager thing is obviously it's not regulated, but they're in their, in their chapter 11 that they're trying to file. They're trying to put crypto almost as like a, a regulated asset. Yeah. And it's like, you can't have best, the best of both worlds here. And it's you've got Voyager, Celsius now, Terra Lunia. It's just, I don't know, mate, it's it's really fascinating. And and the, the theory about, you know, crypto and Bitcoin being this hedge against inflation hasn't really worked out in any way, shape or form. And I mean, I've still, I've got money in Bitcoin and it's down massively, but mm. it's been really, really interesting to see the reaction and actually how much the content traffic has dropped off on YouTube as well yeah, and across yeah, yeah. all of the social media platforms. Mm. You can never underestimate human psychology and the way people react to things in real, in real, in real world. Yeah. I think it's been really funny. And actually um, one of the things about crypto that I've found interesting is, is that it's constantly trying to masquerade as legit mainstream, um, you know, part of the legit mainstream financial system. And like, it is getting a little bit more that way but like you're one of the people who've always sort of said when companies like celsius have been throwing out their you know 18 percent interest risk free you've always been one of those people that's like mm, i don't know guys maybe rethink maybe maybe look a bit more carefully into that and they have all the different all these companies that have really slick websites they have you know graphs that look very impressive they have white papers that are 47,000 pages long and it gives this kind of like illusion of of um the due of, diligence here has been yeah done. yeah done exactly research, yeah exactly yeah. and you know that's not even to say that there's not merit in a lot of it but it just doesn't have the same like protections and um scrutiny that that a bank does or an investment firm does yeah and i think we're seeing I mean, that a bit now yeah i mean i was tempted to make some staking videos um, and I was like, I couldn't quite wrap my head round. So how does this work? How can I put money in here and then get an 18% yield? <laughs> yeah. How? And I didn't make those videos in the end, even though I was being asked and asked and asked, because 
I couldn't make sense of it. So if I if I can't make sense of it, there's no point in me making a video or talking about it if if it doesn't make any sense to me. And yeah, I think until we get some regulation, I think the crypto space is always going to have these issues where companies can do X, Y, Z. Because one, again, with Voyager, one of the things that they said is obviously they got the FDIC protection. Mm-hmm. But how that actually worked, they were circumventing so much of of the structures that you would typically have to be held accountable for if you were regulated. Okay. And, and so what ended up, I think what they ended up doing was they ended up lending a load of money to a project that had Luna at the heart of it. Yeah, okay. so when Luna went, obviously it's domino effect. They're going to yeah. be impacted as well. So, yeah, I don't know. Will do you think Bitcoin and crypto will recover to those to the kind of highs that we've seen previously? Yeah, I, th- I think they will eventually because I think there's. I think to be honest, it's like a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like you have, especially for Bitcoin, Ethereum, like the people who are into it. Like you go on Twitter, Bitcoin maximalists, people who are into Bitcoin have not changed their tune at all. They're just. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. There's still a massive community there who are just fully into it. And so I think that becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, there's people on Twitter who've got 200,000, 500,000 followers who are, who, and these are all people who kind of buy into that message. And at a certain point, when the economy starts to recover, when there's a bit of good news around, I think naturally the hype will, will build up again and it will... Uh, it will uh, it will probably rebound. I guess I'm always still on the fence about... I, I don't know enough about it to understand the kind of code behind it and all that sort of thing, but I think the, the risks from where I stand of crypto is that there is still stuff that could happen out of left field. So like for Bitcoin, for example, the one I always think about is there's some massive wallets out there that have like billions of, of Bitcoins. Yeah, so the, the Satoshi original one, yeah. yeah. And from what I know, there's nothing stopping one of those from just dumping everything on the market overnight. Mm-hmm. Now, would they do that? Because that would fuck their own investments. Maybe not. But from a fundamental standpoint, if you're looking like long term, I could see something like that happening. And then I would think that that could wipe out the trust in the system. Yeah. But at the moment, I reckon it's, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see it come back at some point. But when's that going to be? Could be years. Yeah. I've been following the guy who was a Doge millionaire. Mm-hmm. in the midst of all the madness last year. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was going to do a video on this, actually. I started to prep a video because it's been interesting to see his journey and the fact that he obviously, went, he got to $3 million, right? Yeah. So from he got like, to a million like, dollars. Fuck all at the start. It was like 10 yeah, grand or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he put in like over 100 grand. Right. It got to over a million dollars in 69 days. <laughs> and then it went from a million up to 3 million. He didn't take a penny. And I'm just like, for me, it's, that's, it's ludicrous. Yeah. You've got to take profits. <laughs> yeah. And I was watching one of his videos um, earlier this week. I think it was on Monday or so. And he was like, do I regret it? He goes, no, I don't. Um, and, it's, and it's weird how he positioned how he felt about why he didn't take profits. Mm-hmm. He okay. felt as though he felt obliged to the community to diamond hands, to hodl okay. for it to get to a for it to get to a dollar. Yeah. And he felt that if he cashed in, he'll be betraying people. Yeah. And that's really fascinating to me because how do you find yourself or get yourself to a position where you feel that kind of responsibility in neglect for your own, I guess, financial security? You you mm. put in a hundred grand, you got it to a million, then surprisingly three million dollars. And it never occurred to you to be like, listen, 
a million a million dollars is a lot of money. I'm yeah. going to secure myself now. And you know, fair play to him. I think his portfolio is worth like three hundred thousand dollars right now. So he's still up on the original investment, but yeah. nowhere near to <clears throat> its peak. And he's saying I'm going to continue to hold, and I'm I'm going to hold it out and see what happens. And I'm just yeah. like. To be honest, mate, that takes a lot of fucking balls. It yeah. really, really does. I don't know that I would be able to take that stance. No, I know. And I guess you've got to have... It's interesting though, isn't it? Because people, characters like that, they kind of end up having sort of like mythical status in their in their community. Like community, the other one that, yeah. that, that reminds me of is um, the original like GameStop guy, like that deep fucking value. He mm-hmm. was the same thing. He, he, you know, he was up like tens of millions of dollars at one point. And then you know, would lose half of it in like three days because the the stock was fluctuating so much and he just stayed in and you go and read it and everyone was acting like he was the second coming, like this guy <laughs> yeah. is, is an absolute god in that community. It's yeah. it, it's funny. It's it's a funny old world, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, th- I do think though, I mean, looking at the guy's channel and everything like that, I think, all right, he may have lost millions of dollars because Dogecoin fell, but I think you know, the YouTube gods and, and companies yeah. in the crypto space will look on him very, very kindly. And I think over the long run, he'll probably make way more money than that. Yeah, um, the reputation's worth more, because, isn't it? Yeah, because the reputation and the brand that he's building is, is worth a lot more. And mm. that's, it's a, a fascinating world of YouTube and social media, really, to be <laughs> honest. And, you know, having themes like crypto. And it's amazing when you think about crypto. I mean, like, obviously, it's not perfect. It's not 100% solid. But... It's the opportunity that that it affords people. And reading some of the comments on his video, it it's abundantly clear that there are a lot of kids who obviously followed him, who maybe took some of the steps that he took, but did yeah. take profits, and maybe paid off student loans or bought their first home and all that kind of stuff. And you can never begrudge that happening for people in the real world, no, no matter how unrealistic and I guess stupid and mind-boggling it feels to someone like people like you and I where we're like this makes no sense whatsoever and it's all driven off sentiment and and Elon tweets yeah mate I think NFTs are pretty fucking stupid but if I could tell a picture of a monkey for 200k you bet your ass I'd be uh, (laughs) I'd be doing it yeah 100% speaking of Elon Tesla's just dumped their Bitcoin haven't they well most of it 75% of it yeah. What do you reckon? Do you reckon it was all just a bit of a game? Do you think he actually uh, saw it as a, a value to the balance sheet, or is it just a bit of a, a bit of a short, another one of his kind of short-term pumps? I honestly, I think that he actually saw value in it because, I mean, look, they made a lot of money when Bitcoin was very, very was high. They mm. made a lot of money by holding that Bitcoin. I don't know whether he just got to the position where he was like, actually, you know what, let's just dump because he would. I would imagine he's still up. Actually, would he be? He, I don't think he would be right It now. wouldn't be, no. I can't even remember when, it was about this time last year that they bought it? I feel like it was sort of I, I feel like it was, yeah. So, yeah, so he'll be down. So he would yeah. have cashed in the loss here, but it, it served a purpose because I think he did see it as, a, as, a, as an addition to the balance sheet to improve the numbers mm. quite a bit. Um, and I haven't really paid attention to the, the Tesla numbers, but even yesterday the Tesla stock was up like 8 or 9%. So, yeah. It's interesting, really, what's happening there. And he's been very, very vocal over the fact that he feels like it's going to be a bit of an ugly recession. And he's obviously made some moves with, you know, making parts of the the workforce in in some of the factories redundant and stuff. But it's always interesting with Elon. He's always very, very calculated. And I think maybe he's just seen Bitcoin as it served its purpose for that moment in time. Maybe they needed... 
But again, why would you cash it in if you're at a loss? I mean, it's quite significant holding that he had as well. So mm. there has to be have been a, a, a legitimate business reason for it, I would imagine. Yeah. I, the weird thing for me is that he sold 75% of it. Because like Elon seems to me and his business moves and everything are always very all or nothing. It's like this mm-hmm. is this is black, this is white, this is up, this is down. There's not much middle ground. So the fact that he's kind of hedging his bets a little bit with it, mm. that's what I find a bit weird. Um and maybe that's just a play that if if it's minimising the downside risk, but then if there is a a kind of rapid recovery, then at least he, he he's still going to be able to say I've made you know we've made X amount of millions yeah. or billions this quarter from from our Bitcoin holdings. So yeah, I don't know it's an interesting one. Yeah. What about uh, inflation figures? Moving to something a little bit more mainstream. So we we all know inflation's not going down anytime soon. It's been uh, going up quite a lot for the last twelve months. Up again, I think yesterday, day before, nine point four percent is the new figure. Yeah. Um, that's CPI. I've not actually looked at RPI because um, that's always even higher, isn't it? Um, what do you reckon? Are we going to see it start to come down, or what's your t- what's your take on inflation? I don't think it will. I mean, unless we get a handle on energy prices and fuel prices and food prices. I mean, I think the biggest component of the nine point four figure is energy and fuel mm. prices. That's the main driver in that 9.4%. And unless we get a handle on that, I don't I don't see how we're going to have inflation come back down. I mean, the bank are going to say, look, we'll get it back down to 2%. I, I still think that's wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. Within two or three years, that's the track that they're putting out. Mm. But I think that's a little, <coughs> maybe a little ambitious on their, on thinking on their part. Um, and I've been saying this, I've said this a lot, and I don't know whether you'd agree with this, Jason. But, you know, obviously, the Bank of England, the main lever that you would pull to combat inflation is interest rates. And we've seen five interest rate hikes so far this year, with mm. maybe another two coming along a bit later on. Not really had a dent on, mm. on, on the inflation number. Yeah, We've seen it go up regardless. And my argument is this, and it'll be interesting to see whether you agree with this. I think it's counterintuitive. And I think maybe the, Andrew Bailey's just did it because he has to be seen to do something because our issues aren't necessarily a supply versus demand issue, and it is a supply chain issue, I don't think the interest rates will work, increases will work whatsoever. But I think what the interest rate rises basically do is it inflicts even more pain on people who have mortgages. Because yeah. if you aren't fixed, you've seen your mortgage go up five times. I think the interest rates on, on mortgages have, have doubled from the cheapest that they were to where they are right now. So you get yourself into a really, really sticky situation where we've our economy isn't really growing at a at a decent pace. So you you kind of have this stagflation equation where you've got low economic growth, high inflation. You increase interest rates to try and combat the inflation. That doesn't help, but it does squeeze disposable incomes, which means that there's not enough money circulating in the main economy to increase economic output, economic growth. And it's just a vicious cycle of just, what do we do? And I still think unless you know something happens or changes massively with Ukraine, we're in for a bit of a hiding. And I was reading, I saw something on, a, on TikTok yesterday that made me laugh. Uh, it was it was basically about the fact that um, we think, and this may be controversial for a lot of people. This, this is me just reciting what I saw, so don't shoot the messenger, right? <laughs> but it was like it was talking about um, the position that obviously we and the European Union have taken against Russia. And he goes, "There's one thing that I think they're overlooking, 
and that is the fact that winter is coming. Mm -hmm. And I was like, actually, that's very, very true because mm -hmm. we've had a heat wave this week, but when we start getting into the colder months and in October, we see energy prices increase again and the energy prices, that's just a, a cap on average household. Yeah. If you're using more heating, more energy in the, in the winter months, families are going to get wiped out. Yeah, and it's, it's not a hard cap, it, it's a per, per kilowatt hour yeah. cap. Yeah, yeah. And then we could go into next year, possibly March, and there's going to be even more. I just think it's going to be really, really ugly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree in a lot of ways. I think, you know, the actual figures on the economy are actually not too bad. I think uh, in May it was like half a percent, which is like 6% annualized, which is pretty good. for It was very good for the UK. But I think the point is that it's not, it's a very, it's very, um, it's a very mismatched economy. We've got certain sections, sectors which are performing very, very well, like the energy producers, they're killing it at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and then lots of other areas, you know, retail, for example, which is which is is struggling. Um, I checked RPI a second ago, it's 11.8%. And RPI includes housing, which CPI mm -hmm. doesn't, which which is really interesting. Um, and I think that's that's the key point for me. I think your point, your point about... Um, Andrew Bailey, Bank of England governor, raising interest rates. I think you're right. I think he does have to be seen to do something, but it comes back to the, to use like the economics um, terminology, it's the elasticity of the demand. So mm -hmm. if you've got, um, the more elastic the demand for something is, the more it can fluctuate based on economic conditions. So trainers have very elastic demand because we don't all need new trainers all the time. Mm -hmm. Holidays, same thing. But Inflation is occurring in areas that have very inelastic demand. You know, we still need to use our, uh, our cars to get to work, to earn money, to put food on the table. Groceries have gone up massively. Again, we, you know, we can shift that around a little bit. We can may maybe, you know, eat more rice than steak, but there's a limit to how much you can, mm -hmm. you know, you can impact those. Same with energy prices, like you said, housing costs again. So, yeah, I'm I'm of, of the same view as you. I think that... it. it this has the potential just to just to actually make the problem worse because it's not going to really impact the prices that we're paying for our goods and services um, and it's just going to increase the amount we're paying for for mortgages and it's not even just mortgages if you think about a lot of the different um, a lot of the different costs we have um, in our life there's an interest rate built in there in there somewhere um, mm -hmm. you know even things like a phone contract you know you don't see that but effectively, there's a loan in there. You're getting a thousand quid phone without having to pay mm -hmm. anything up front. Somewhere along the line, behind the scenes at Apple or EE or whoever, there's an interest rate built into that that they're yeah. lending you the, the money for that. So yeah, yeah it's uh, I don't think we're going to see it down to two three percent for a long time. I reckon we'll start to see it come off a bit um, towards the end of this year and into next year, but it's coming from such a high point. I think it's going to take a, a really long time to get back down to what we consider to be kind of normal levels. Do you think there is, there is this um, conversation online that I've, that I've seen where people are saying that actually the central banks probably need to rethink what that inflation target should be, revise it from 2% up, but it's like to what? What does that do though? And what does that help exactly, anything? Exactly, exactly. It's like, well, if you if you revise it up to four percent, there's still material impact in the in the general public. And then you ask all other kinds of questions around, you know, should we be paying people more to keep up with that? Um, I don't know, man. It's just I'm I'm glad that I'm not, you know, Andrew Bailey or, you know, 
in one of the offices looking at this problem trying to combat it because I don't think I don't I don't think anybody really has the answers to a lot of this stuff there's a lot of uncontrollables in the equation yeah 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 definitely what do you think about pay rises then so that's another one that's been another debate that's happening online in the mainstream media you know the argument on one side is that you can't businesses and Andrew Bailey the Bank of England governor was one of the you know he copped some flack for coming out including from me um, for coming out and saying that uh, workers should uh, what was it exercise should restraint should ask for yeah 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 asking, asking for pay, pay rises rise and stuff um, but then there's obviously really rising cost of living what what do you what's your kind of take on on that situation I don't know I think from a I think a lot of businesses won't be in a position where they can because the money has to come from somewhere right and just think about you know the business world and what businesses have been through but certainly through COVID you know they've been through a very 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 difficult position a lot of businesses barely scraping through so when you think about where we are with inflation right now and then the possibility that actually you've got to give a pay rise as well it's a huge commitment uh, for a lot of businesses to actually make but then on the flip side like so for example my partner's a teacher right she's she's a new teacher into the profession she's mm-hmm. got notification she's going to get eight percent pay rise now her fuel cost has gone from 200 pounds a month to 400 pounds a month mm-hmm. so where does that come from like, how do we, how do you offset that? Because the result of it is you're not going to have people going into work, certainly not in, in schools. You'll be like, you'll have teachers not even turn up. Yeah. So I think we need to find some way to be able to offset in some way, shape or form. And you just can't leave it for people to be like, oh, just go figure it yourself because people start leaving professions. Business will suffer because of the fact that you're under financial pressure. And if your employer isn't helping you, well, all of a sudden, why should you care? You then have the risk of people actually leaving work, trying to find something else, and that that is problematic as well. It's a very, very difficult um, balance, I guess, to strike. And I think the main argument is, you know, it's all very well and good for Andrew Bailey to say, don't look for a pay rise if you're on, you know, four, oh, what's he on, £400,000 a yeah, year. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Like, when you say that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. from a lofty ivory tower... Yeah. Like you're going to get crucified because you should recognize your privilege. You're on 400,000 pounds a year. Inflation <laughs> is not the same thing for you. Like yeah. there needs to be some kind of you, relatability. And oftentimes there is no relatability. I mean, look at what's going on with, you know, Rishi at the minute and him yeah. potentially being the next prime minister. Like, does he really know what it's like? Probably not. Mm. Well, Definitely not, I would argue, given how rich he is. I mean, yeah. there was something I watched earlier this morning. Him and his wife were worth $730 million. Yeah. Dollars. I know. It's crazy. crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. So how can he relate to the fact that the people on the lowest lowest incomes in this country who will be seeing any, like, it's crazy to say this, gas and electric payments of 100 200 300 pounds a month. Yeah. How are you going to relate to that when you got seven hundred thirty million dollars worth of net worth? It, it, three hundred dollars is something he'll probably spend that on a lunch. Yeah, and that's someone's energy bill for the month. It's crazy. I know, it is. It is, and I, yeah, I think the yeah the political side is a really tough one. We're not uh, we, don't, we don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but um, I think you know I got in a bit of a. Well, I, Martin Lewis did a tweet on the other day about um, about the energy cap going up, mm-hmm. uh, and I tweeted back something about you know it's going up by two hundred seventy a month is going to be the new kind of cap for the average household or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I made a comment of, you know, you, sh- you shouldn't try to s- save that amount of money because it's too difficult. You should try and find a way to earn 270 quid extra a month. Um, and I spent the whole day replying to comments on that tweet because people were calling me a, a wanker and a Tory and a bastard <laughs> and then some people were saying, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. And so um, that was fun. But I think, you know, I think from my perspective, the point is, is that there's so much of this situation that we can't control. You know, we can't control the supply chain for mm. the global economy. We can't control who's going to be the next prime minister, really. We can't control so much, but what, the only thing we can control is to try and do our best to earn some more money to to, to fight against the, the rising cost of living. And I think there's not a lot we can do, but that is one step that people can take is to try and find ways to earn a bit more money. And don't get me wrong, it shouldn't have to be that way. You should be able to be a teacher yeah. and go to work and, you know, do an honest job and earn an honest living. But unfortunately, at the moment, it's not, it's not, the system's not working the way it should be. So it's either, you know, what else can you do other than trying yeah. to get, try to get yourself in a better position, really? Yeah, I mean, I would 100% agree. I've done a number of videos recently where I talk about, you know, additional streams of income. And I've talked about, I was reading a stat the other day because I'm on YouTube about 75% of my audience are aged 24 to 44. Mm-hmm. And a stat came out to say that I think it was 37% of people aged 25 to 34 were stressed about money. Then another 28% of people between 35 and 44 were stressed about money. So that makes up 63% of my 75% majority yeah. um, audience on, on YouTube. So I did a... I did a video where I talked about, you know, if you're stressed about money, you know, run a, a brief exercise. And it was all about the circles of influence. Mm-hmm. So thinking about, you know, what what is, if you are stressed about money, number one, what is it, for example? So if it is the fact that actually you're looking at your energy prices and it's like, I, I, these ends aren't going to meet, yeah. then it's being really um, pragmatic around, okay, if you use a circle of influences, um, list what the issue is and say, right, okay, so it's paycheck to paycheck, you're not getting enough money, How can? what are the things you can do to go fix it? So one of the things is additional income streams. Now, it's not a fix overnight, but it is something pragmatic. And that yeah. might mean if you've got a skill like copywriting, for example, or you're good at videography or photo- photography or editing, things that are really popular now because of the advent of social media, list all of those things down. And the idea is within the middle circle of influence, you should maybe have four or five maybe good ideas in there. And then you prioritize one or two, you go out for those because you can't, there's only so much you can cut and budget. I mean, yeah. how many times can you cut Netflix and Apple TV and, and stuff and Disney Plus? Once you've done it once, that's it. You know, and if we if we keep seeing prices escalate, you're going to have to be very, very creative around how you bring in more money because if you cut everything, what are you going to do? Yeah. I think it's good for your mental health too. Like even if you think about, it's just having a positive positive action rather than negative action. Like it's like if you're trying to lose some weight, you know, if all you're doing is like counting calories and like sitting on the sofa and looking at how small your dinner is and just feeling shit, it's it's t- really tough. Mm-hmm. But if you're like getting out, getting active, taking up a new sport, like moving your body and trying to also watch what you eat, it puts a positive slant on it. It's the same with the money. Like, like you say, you can only cut things so far mm-hmm. and every time you cut something, it makes your life a little bit worse. Um, and... Or you do the alternative where it's like, okay, let's go grow something. Let's go out and make something happen. Like that can put you in a much better headspace, especially when you're talking about, you know, your point there about stress. Even if the problems don't go away overnight, if you, if you feel like you're making progress and, and 
putting something in place that might be able to help you in the future, it can help you be able to deal with the, the fact that the current situation kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. 100%. I would agree with that. I think, yeah, it, it's a difficult time right now. I, you know, Martin Lewis has been very, very vocal around the fact that, you know, it's probably the worst that he'd seen in 20 years. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, we're all in for a very rude awakening and how we can all cope with it is going to be the big challenge. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about investments. Investments have been a bit of a rude awakening as well this year. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely a theme in the world. It's been a lot. At least we've got a lot of the bad shit happening at once. So hopefully, it once it's all done, we can actually just have good times for a few years. But um, Netflix, you mentioned before, so they lost. They lost a million subscribers. A million, yeah. Yeah, lost two hundred. I love how they put a little. Uh, silver line spinning on that though because so like oh it's, it's less than we expected it's like yeah dude, thought it was going to be two million, million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but you still lost a million subscribers that's crazy right that's the uh, first yeah, time nuts. in their history they've lost subscribers for two consecutive quarters yeah but i mean look look at where we are even when you sit down i was doing secret spenders you know what <clears> if you're looking at trying to cut things are you using this netflix no. Okay. <laughs> Get rid of it. It's got to go. It's, it's an yeah. easy thing to sacrifice when you're trying to tighten your belt. So those numbers don't necessarily surprise me at all. Yeah. It's funny, actually, from a business perspective. So my wife and I were talking about this the other day. So Paramount Plus is another new one that's just been mm-hmm. launched in the UK. I saw the, the – we watched the first episode last night, actually, of the new show about Uber the start of Uber mm-hmm. and it's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt it's a good show but that popped up and I said oh, we should get that and my wife was like this is getting this is getting ridiculous we've got so many because we we are a bit silly we have all of them because they I've realised they're getting really clever with it right so Apple especially are really good like they've obviously t- they would have so much data that would tell them how long it normally takes for somebody to watch a series and then just when you finish and you think right we're going to cancel that now oh a new one pops up Another which one is like oh in. okay yeah. hold on we've got to watch this now yeah um and we're thinking, okay, which ones are we going to get rid of? And actually, Netflix was the one where we're like, to be honest, we don't let's let's get rid of Netflix, which is such a fuck up from their perspective, right? They were the first one, they were the only one, and now ten years down the line, they're the one that I think a lot of people would be looking at and saying, you know what, if we've got to get rid of one of them, let's let's get rid of Netflix, which is it's a real mistake from a business standpoint. Yeah, but I think as well, I think. They had first movers advantage, and I think they kind of rested on their laurels a bit. If you look mm. at, I look at Netflix. My missus has got it, so we've still got it. But I go on it, and I'm like, "What are we going to watch?" There's so much there, but it's there's so much rubbish on there yeah, as well. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the likes of Paramount, Apple, um, even Disney Plus, like the content is so good, and there's yeah. a constant stream of it coming out as well. Particularly on 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 Disney Plus, like all of the Marvel stuff is on there. And if yeah. you're really trying to get into like some of that stuff, or you're a fan of it. It's the place to basically be. I've just taken out Paramount as well as part of the Prime subscription that I've got because I wanted to watch Halo. It was the only oh, yeah. place that you could actually watch it. Mm. So I just think they rested on their laurels a little bit Yeah, with Netflix. Yeah, I think it's highlighted the importance of the IP, right? And I think that's where Disney have gone. They've done such an amazing job. Like if you think of the acquisitions they've made, Star mm-hmm. Wars, Marvel... Um, they've got so many of the like studios like Pixar and stuff which they mm-hmm. which they bought over time like well just Star Wars and Marvel that's like content with a built-in audience that mm-hmm. is gonna bring you in billions like forever and yeah. I think that's where Netflix have gone wrong is like what's the big series that they had they're not like 
you're not going to buy, especially now, you're not going to buy like a House of Cards jumper or mm-hmm. like an Orange is the New Black mug kind of thing. Like they're, they're a good series, but they're not they're not like franchises. And I think yeah. that's what they're trying to do now with Stranger Things. But it's like, guys, you're, you're seven years too late on that, really. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But it's been interesting to see the difference between the US markets and the UK markets and stuff. As I was looking at this last week, and it's actually, we've not done too bad in relation to the rest of, of mm. the world, to be honest. And it's interesting because, you know, I could talk about this all day, mate, and I'm sure you agree with some of this stuff. Certainly in the investment create like content world, it's all been US, 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 yeah. US, because it's all sexy and it's got all the tech giants and stuff. <clears throat> and don't worry about the UK. And the fact that the, the UK market has held up quite well relative to the US is it, it lends itself to the point that is always made diversification yeah, and not just popping yourself in the sexiest market because all the tech giants are there, which generally tend to suffer in inflationary periods. Yeah. I'm, 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 I wouldn't say I'm surprised because we have a lot of, you know, I guess, how would you say them? Uh, boring kind of established, yeah, steady Eddie business. Traditional, in the, traditional in, in, is probably yeah, the polite way to say it. Traditional <laughs> um, in the UK, in the UK market. So yeah, it's been quite, it's been quite surprising to be fair. Yeah, I think I think that that's a really good point. And um, I saw the article, or an article yesterday that what's this company called? So Halion. So the new mm-hmm. flotation of Halion, which is part of GlaxoSmithKline. So I think mm-hmm. so Halion or the new company. They've taken, I think it's Panadol, which is like a paracetamol product, and Sensodyne toothpaste are the two kind of main brands, and they spun it off to a different company. And I read that, and I was like, that is a perfect example of the UK market. It's a business that is, I think it floated at 28 billion pounds, massive business. Um, if that was being listed on the NASDAQ and it was a tech stock, it would have you know, so much coverage and yet mm-hmm. it's like a, you know, a tiny little line item on the BBC that you wouldn't mm-hmm. even never, I'd never heard of Halion before. And yet that company is probably going to be generating multiple millions of hundreds of pounds of cash mm-hmm. flow and revenue every year. And I think that is, that's the UK market in a nutshell. Like you, you mentioned there before, about, you know, boring companies. Like if you look at the top companies in the FTSE 100, it's like what, like legal in general, prudential, mm-hmm. Um, Anglo-American, Rio Tinto, BP, Shell, like really boring companies that do very basic stuff, but they make an absolute shitload of money. And mm-hmm. like you say, the, sometimes that's what you want in your portfolio. I think the FTSE 100 is down, what, 4% or something this year? Yeah. Um, S&P 500 is down like 30-odd. Yeah. They may have come back a little bit now. But yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I think if you're going to, it's almost a microcosm of the, of like society like the U- u.s is like big and brash and like boom and mm-hmm. bust and look how good we are and then oh shit the world's falling down and and in the uk we're kind of like unassuming just like mm-hmm. get on with our jobs and it's um like you say important to have your your finger in multiple pies because different yeah. strategies work better at different times yeah i've certainly seen <clears throat> within people who kind of like follow me um because I talk about diversification all the time. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's okay if you want to have a little bit of the S&P 500. That's fine. But like, you need to consider having more. Mm. And with the S&P being down so much, it's like, it's almost like shock. Like, why? Like, how? <laughs> and it's like, they might be the largest 500 companies in the world, but it's, they are US-based. 
Like if you put your, all your eggs in one basket, you know, depending on how many eggs you have, you might come out with some, but still you're, you're, you're exposing yourself to a higher level of risk than you need to. But it's interesting again with psychology and I guess with the way the role that social media plays in encouraging or influencing is the, probably the right word people to think about certain things and mm. it has over the last two years just been about markets are great you make a lot of money become rich and all this kind of stuff and it's like now reality sets in because we could be heading towards a recession markets are down and a lot of people who just started investing over the last two years never thought this kind of stuff would actually happen never been through it and were told don't worry you'll be fine you'll make a lot of money you'll be rich in any year's time and like that's not that's not the reality of the world yeah i think i think it's a i think it's actually the best time ever to have gotten into investing not the best time ever but the best time we've seen in a long time because i think that's that's mm-hmm. the risk isn't it is that if you miss 2008 and you got in any time between, say, 2010, 11, and a couple of years ago, it gives you a warped sense of what the markets do. Um, you know, I, I got into the, I got my first job in financial planning in 2007, so it was like I'd been in the in the in the gig for six months, and then the fucking world fell apart, <laughs> yeah. which was really awkward at the time. But you know, I was like 18; I didn't really care. It didn't really impact mm-hmm. me other than having to make a lot of awkward phone calls at work. But um, from an educational standpoint, that always stays in my mind. So like recently someone was asking about margin lending, for example, and I'm like, no, I've, <laughs> I've seen how that can go. Don't do it. Yeah. Whereas if you'd never seen that, you'd be like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you? The markets just, they just go up all the time. So if you mm-hmm. leverage that, you're just going to earn more money. Like, why wouldn't you do that? So yeah, as much as it, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable and hope. And if you do the wrong thing, you can, you can cause some lasting damage to your finances. Um, if you avoid that and you're sensible with it, like it's quite a good starting point for an education on the kind of bad stuff that can happen really. And then you can protect against it in the future. Yeah, 100%. And I think as well, like the markets might be down right now. People might be panicking, but actually it's a great opportunity as well because, you know, what everyone's going to be looking for is what is the bounce going to look like once, once all this is said and done, mm. and, you know, and how much higher can the market actually go when all this is said and done. And I think there's potentially an opportunity there really to be able to capitalize. And if you look back over 2007, 2008, I mean, the, the market growth on that bounce was huge. Yeah. You know, and if, and if history does repeat itself, and obviously past performance is no indication of the future, but if it does, you know, if you hold your nerves, you stay invested and you continue on the on this path that you set on, you could do potentially quite well. Yeah, definitely. Always important to keep a, a long-term view. Look, uh, Pete, I think that's a really, probably a really good place to end. Uh, uh, thanks for coming on today. Really good to have a chat and catch up with you. Been on the show before, obviously, but for people who uh, maybe didn't catch that episode, it was a while ago now, where can they Mm -hmm. find more of your stuff? Yeah, I'm I'm on YouTube, on Instagram, uh, Conversation of Money. Um, Those are the two main outlets. And obviously, I've got a podcast as well, which is the the Conversation on Money podcast, which is on the, all of the good podcast outlets brilliant definitely go check that out guys um thanks very much for coming on pete appreciate your time cheers